Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. I'm really stoked about this show because this is about the first hour and the first feeding that your baby will ever have. Now, why do I get so excited about this? It's because it's the one thing. You know, as the old saying goes, you never have a second chance to make a good first impression. Well, that's kind of how it is with the baby when the baby is born, all right? We, meaning people like me who might be helping you in your birth situation, and you, the parent, we never have another chance to make a good first impression on this baby. And there is a ton, and I mean a ton, of really deep, good, elegant research showing how important this first hour is. And some people have called it the golden hour. Some people have called it the magical hour. There's uh, Kettle and Kloss, when they first did their work in the early 1970s, they called it a sensitive period, that first hour immediately after birth. And actually, it was later, uh, I would say later into the 1980s, we started seeing studies about the importance of the first hour of life, largely because of those superior physical and emotional outcomes for the mother and for the newborn when skin-to-skin contact occurred during that first hour of life. Then, in 1990, we got what has now become a classic study from Dr. Leonard Regard. And for those of you who are interested, it's R-I-G-H-A-R-D. And uh, just a little aside on that, I had the tremendous opportunity to be able to spend five days teaching with Dr. Leonard Regard. And trust me, it was a real privilege. Um, That was a while ago. It was before my hair got quite this gray. But here's the deal. Um, He did this absolutely incredible study. And if you want to go onto YouTube, I'm trying to pull this over here for you just a minute. It's called Delivery Self-Attachment, and it's on YouTube. So if you just go to YouTube and you put in Delivery Self-Attachment, you will see what Dr. Leonard Regard saw in this classic study. He basically made a video out of the study. So there have been other videos done since then, but none of them really to the extent of what you will see, in my opinion, what you will see in the YouTube, the video by Dr. Leonard Regard. So remember that I told you that in the 1970s, Kennel and Klaus called this a sensitive period immediately after birth. 
And I always tried to remind people, well, you know, don't worry. If the baby gets separated during the first hour of life, all is not lost. It's a sensitive period. It's not a critical period. That was kind of my my usual line of pattern. But actually, we have now found that, in fact, it is a critical period. It is a critical period. Now, I'm just looking at my notes here, and I took only what I considered to be the top shelf, the creme de la creme of research studies, and I've got more than 32. I don't know how many, but I can see I've got at least 42. So here's the question I'd like to pose. It's a full four decades after Kettle and Klaus told of the importance of this first hour of life. We've got tons of studies, and yet there is still an awful lot of separation going on between the mother and the baby in the first hour of life. So what I'd like to challenge you to do today is to ask yourself, What's going on in that first hour of life, and how can I, the parent, make sure that my baby gets absolutely the level best in that first hour of life? That would be the question that I would pose to you. So then, I'm going to start out by talking a little bit, I just need a sentence or two here, to tell you about evidence an evidence-based practice. I'm sure you've heard that. It's a big buzzword. It has been for the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years maybe. But here's a quote from the Institute of Medicine. And they it was their roundtable where they predicted that by the year 2020, 90% of clinical decisions will be supported by accurate, timely, and up-to-date clinical information. And it will reflect the best available evidence. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's terrific. But it's not now. Right now, I'm here to tell you, I teach all over the country. I have taught in 40 out of the 50 states. I have taught in what I would say is probably every major city. New York City, Chicago, Atlanta, Dallas, you name it, I've done it. And I hear this all the time about this separation during the first hour of life. So I want to pose to you, what are the common practices that occur during that first hour of life? And is there evidence that really warrants those? So I'm going to start out with the first two, which are what we in the business tend to call... (laughs) This is a a little off color, but it's eyes and thighs. And by that, we mean putting uh, ointment in the baby's eyes and putting the vitamin K shot in the baby's thigh. So when we say eyes and thighs, that's what we mean. First of all, there's a lot of stuff going on with this in terms of it's not only separation, I mean, it is separation, but it's more than separation. How would you like to have people putting gunk in your eyes as you're trying to do probably the most important thing you've ever done in your life? 
And secondly, how would you like it if somebody was shooting you in the thigh with a vitamin? Most of us don't like shots very well. I could talk for a long time about this first one, which is the eyes. There's a lot of history to this, probably more than you want to know. But basically, originally, the the ointment was actually silver nitrate. And we don't use that anymore in the United States. I think they might be using it in some parts of the world. I'm not sure. But certainly here in the United States, we haven't used it in a very long time, decades. But we do use uh, the erythromycin. And the reason for that is that there is sort of a presumption that we need to do that for kids in case they have been exposed in the vagina to um, either chlamydia infection or uh, uh, gonorrhea. Well, actually, that begs a lot of questions. First of all, if the baby is born by cesarean, then he's not exposed no matter what's in the vagina. So, like, why would we be doing that? And yet, that is what the regulations do call for. In some states, having your baby have the what we call prophylactic, that is preventive ointment put in the eyes, is mandatory. I'm thinking of, for instance, a state like New York State. Uh, it is mandatory. The baby must have it. And there's no wiggle room here. Every baby must get it across the board. That is my understanding. You know, of course, that I'm not an attorney, but that is my very clear understanding. Another state, like, for instance, Florida, if you have a birth plan and if you have it written out of uh, written out ahead of time, and actually I think you've got to get it notarized and kind of go through some other hoops, you can actually ask that your baby not have the, the preventive ointment put in their eyes. Now, there's a lot of ins and outs to this. I'm not necessarily saying that we should just blow it off. But I am saying that the fact that you have some choices here, you need to think about, in some states, you have some choices. And if you don't do it, you need to know what the consequences are. For example, in some states, if you don't have the ointment put in your baby's eyes, um, the um, Child Protective Services could come after you. However, I would say that in all states that I'm aware of, again, I'm not an attorney, okay, but from the reading that I have done, it appears to me that you can certainly have the ointment delayed. In some states, it's like an hour. In some, it can be, I think, as much as two. I'm not quite sure on that. So I want to make sure that you understand that it certainly does not have to be done within the first few minutes. And even if... It has to be done within the first hour. It can be done towards the end of that hour, not in the beginning of that hour. This is noxious stimuli, okay? Now, vitamin K, there's also some controversy about whether or not babies should get vitamin K. I I have done enough reading on this that I think they, they should. However, there's a couple of ways in which you can ameliorate this sort of negative experience for your baby. First of all, it doesn't have to be done in those first couple of minutes. It can certainly be delayed for a while. Again, look up your state regulations. And then the other thing that is so hugely important 
is that if the baby is going to get a shot, or in fact, if the baby is going to get any sort of invasive procedure, it's best if he is actually with you, that is, on your skin, on your body, on your chest, and the nurse can do that. I know, I'm a nurse, okay, but this part I can speak to. I have no idea how many vitamin K shots I've given in my life, probably hundreds, I, I don't know. But the truth is, um, yeah, you, you can do it when the baby is with the mother, and we have clear evidence that shows that the babies are not in nearly as much pain, if any pain, when the shot is done while the baby is skin to skin with the mother. And I will tell you from personal experience, that goes really well. So at the very least, you should be holding your baby skin to skin when these procedures are done. Now, when we come back, I'm going to talk to you about weighing and measuring, moving the baby to the warmer, swaddling, and much more. So don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuzo? Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuzo, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. 
I always really enjoyed doing this show. I'm really glad that I could help you. One of the greatest privileges that I have is to be on this show where I can tell it to you the way the research tells it to me. I don't have to speak the party line at the hospital or the doctor's office or anywhere else. I can tell you what the real research really says. And in that last segment where I was talking about the eyes and thighs, really my bottom line to you is parents have choices here. And so sometimes your choices are not as great as you might want them to be, but you do have some choices. So make sure that you're aware of what your choices are in terms of having or not having, being able to delay, having a plan ahead of time, whatever it is. But this is your baby, and this is your opportunity, and you will never have a chance to have that baby live that piece of his life ever again. So you want to make sure that you do it upright. Okay, let's go to the next one, which is weighing and measuring. All right. I cannot think of any reason why a baby has to be flopped onto a cold scale and then, of course, he's wiggling and jiggling all over the... He's naked. And then he's wiggling and jiggling all over the place as we're trying to measure his head, measure his chest. And, you know, here's my big question. What is the purpose of that? And an awful lot of times, it's just so that some nurse like me can say that, it, you know, she was able to check the box, get her tasks done. And which, by the way, I'm big on getting my tasks done. I do. I want my stuff done. I want my boxes checked. I, I want to get it all behind me. But it really doesn't do the baby any good. Let me tell you, though, where I get in trouble is when I sort of gently say to the parent something like, you know, it's really important for the baby to be with you right now. And, and I kind of chuckle and say, baby's going to weigh the same an hour from now as what he weighs now. And the parent still doesn't really get it. So I'm asking you to get it right now so that you can think about it before your baby is born. What is your hurry to get this baby weighed and measured? And this is where I, the nurse, get in trouble because the parent basically thinks that I should be giving them the statistics on the baby so that they can tell the grandparents or put it on Facebook or whatever. That's not an adequate reason, all right? This baby has had a long trip. Just like the mother needs to recover, he needs to recover. And he needs to be able to key into these wonderful benefits that I'm going to talk to you about later in the show. This is why this is so important. So I don't think that weighing and measuring the baby is any great big deal. I think that it can wait. And so what, what's the big rush? Hopefully you'll have a nurse that isn't rushing you, and hopefully you won't be resisting the nurse who actually wants to put this off for the baby's good. Okay, here's my next one. What about taking the baby to the warmer? You know, so much of the people that are now old enough to have babies, you've all grown up with all of this technology. Now, I didn't grow up with a lot of technology, so it's not second nature to me. But I will tell you this. Pretty much, I, I would say that when I went into practice, we had, uh, we had radiant warmers. We did. 
we thought that radiant warmers were like the be-all and end-all. That they were going to warm the baby better than anything. No, uh, 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 oh, not true. I am not aware of any research study in more than 40 years that has ever proven that. Somebody just thought it to be true. Here's the kicker. The real warmer is the mother's skin, okay? So you need to make sure that you become the warmer for your baby, putting that baby on your chest, which, by the way, if you put the baby like sort of like I'm doing it on my own body right now, um, if you put the baby like sort of between your elbow and your breast, you know, like over on the side somewhere, that doesn't work, okay? You've got to get the baby on the front of the chest, and you've got to not have the nightgown or the any other junk in the way. A lot of times uh, what happens is the baby comes with a T-shirt or with, forget all that. All right, that doesn't work. It has literally got to be skin to skin. If there's any fabric in between, it's not going to work. And if you've got the baby kind of shoved over to the side, it's not going to work. That's because the breasts are warmer than any other part of the body. I believe that's a true statement. That wasn't quite what I wanted to say. I wanted to say that the lactating breast, the mother's breast, is warmer than a non-lactating breast. And actually, it's also warmer than a man's chest. But there are also these C afferent nerves that are on the front of the chest. And that's part of what creates this sort of magic that goes to the brain so that the baby gets all of these wonderful benefits So, yes, part of it is the warmth, but part of it is this neurologic connection as well. So get the baby skin to skin on your chest as soon as you possibly can after delivery without any of that fabric in the way. Sometimes I have a hard time explaining this, especially to fathers. They kind of like don't get it. I say to them, all right, look it. How about if you had a pan of water and you were putting it on the stove? Would you hold the pan of water, I don't know, 18 or 20 inches or so from the heat source? And the father usually kind of chuckles and says, well, no, no, you'd put it on the heat source. Right. Okay, good. That's the whole idea then with skin-to-skin contact. You are putting the baby literally on the heat source, that is, you're providing the heat yourself, all right? When you put the baby under the radiant warmer, you have got, I I don't know, I'm doing this with my hands here, but I would say this is probably 20 inches or so between the radiant warmer and the baby. Yeah, I know we got a little probe on him and all of that, but it's just not the same, all right? Your body is 98.6 degrees, And that baby is going to get the best warmth right there. But you don't have to believe me. In fact, you should never totally believe me. You should believe that this is what the research has shown. That it's better, the skin-to-skin contact warms the baby better than the isolate, the incubator, the radiant warmer, the crib, the anything else. You do the best job. All right, and then how about taking vital signs? Oh, dear, I went through this with somebody just a while ago. It kind of makes me crazy. 
the nurse is in there and, and she's all like eager beaver to get the baby's vital signs. Okay, I'm, I'm okay with that, but you don't need to take the baby over to the warmer in order to get the vital signs. You can easily do that while the baby is on the mother's chest. So if she starts to steal your baby, and you got to kind of like get your words together ahead of time, all right? But you've got to be able to say, I want to stay with my baby. Do this while the baby is on my chest. Any nurse who's worth her salt can do that. It's frankly not that difficult. All right. So what about uh, swaddling? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of goes in with this whole thing that I was talking about with the warmer. I'm embarrassed to tell you how many times I have wrapped the baby up like a little burrito and then said to the mother, here you go. Here's your baby. Okay, she looks at the baby. The baby looks at her and kind of nothing happens. And she says, well, isn't he supposed to, like, be nursing now? Um, well, um, um, yes. Now, it took me a lot of years before I realized that this doesn't work, but it doesn't. My personal clinical experience shows that it doesn't work, and the research has shown over and over and over it doesn't work. You've got to get the baby skin to skin in order to get the baby to nurse in that first hour of life. And here's the other thing. Wrapping him up in a blanket or two, and I've done that many, many times. I've wrapped the baby up in two blankets. All you're doing then is you are helping the baby to retain the heat that he already has. You're not helping him to get any more or any different or any better heat, all right? You're just basically saying to him, here you go, honey, as warm as you are, we're going to wrap this blanket around you so that the, the, what warmth that you have will stay with you. Well, thanks a heap. What the baby needs is to be on the mother's chest so that he is able to ha- be right at that heat source so that he doesn't have to generate his own heat. Basically, that's what you're doing. When you're putting the baby in the swaddling blankets, you're asking the baby to generate his own heat. And he's like, um, maybe not. No, thanks. All right. I'd like to take just a brief look at all of the bright lights and all of the noise that we have. I think it's very interesting that there's still a lot of bright lights and a lot of noise in the hospitals in general, but particularly in the delivery area, not always, but in a lot of situations. But interestingly enough, the American Academy of Pediatrics came out with a statement in 1993, 1993, and they said, don't do the bright lights. Don't do the big noise. All of this is noxious stimuli for the baby. Instead, what you want is for the baby to come into an environment that's much more of a welcoming environment. That's what you're really looking for. So essentially, I have gone through here the eye ointment, the vitamin K shot, the weighing and measuring, the moving to the warmer to take vital signs, Go ahead and take the vital signs, but get the vital signs while the baby is on your chest. And I've also talked about swaddling 
and um, the bright lights and noise. When we come back, I'm going to be talking about bathing. Stay tuned for this. There's some incredible research around this. I'm Marie Biancuzzo with Born to be Breastfed. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuzzo? Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuzo, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. Before we took a break, I was talking to you about the bright lights and the noise, and I told you that I would follow up with bathing, which I will. Uh, I'm also going to talk about routine glucose checks and pharyngeal stimulation. I'll define that in a minute. Uh, I just want to pause, though, for just a moment and let you know two things. First of all, if you are a mother who has a wonderful story to tell, Along the lines of, for lack of a better term, my problem and how I solved it, 
If you have had a particularly challenging situation with breastfeeding where you feel that you really learned something that you would like to share with the rest of the world, if you've got a way to help us to solve those things that maybe you had difficulty solving but you've got some tips that would help other people, please email me. I'm at radio at borntobebreastfed.com. That's radio at borntobebreastfed.com. I'd love to have you on the show. I'd love to hear your story and how you solved your problem. I'd also like to say that I will be running my comprehensive course in the fall. And right now, we are offering a super, super special on that in terms of price. It is our best deal of the year. So if you're a mother and you've always wanted to become a lactation consultant, or if you're not a mother and you're already maybe uh, a counselor of some kind and you want to get your IBCLC, call my office and we will set you up with what is unquestionably the deal of the year to get your required 90 credits. And my office phone number is 703-787-9894. Okay, so now I'm going to talk to you about the um, routine glucose checks. And glucose checks are simply testing the blood for the amount of sugar that is in the blood. Now, Certainly, if you are a diabetic, yeah, I, I'm going to tell you, they're, they're going to be testing your baby, no doubt about it. And if you've got some other issues, that might be uh, another reason why they would be testing your baby's blood sugar levels. But notice that I said routine. And I hear this as I go around the country teaching. I thought, oh, no, come on. I thought we, I thought we did away with this a long time ago. I thought we did away with this decades ago. No, there are still hospitals where every baby who climbs out of the mommy is getting a routine blood sugar check, and that is not what the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends. As a matter of fact, since 1993, they have said those checks should not be routine or across the board. And the same thing with pharyngeal stimulation. If you've ever seen a baby who's got the gunky stuff kind of sucked out of him, that's what I'm talking about. Now, having said that, have I sucked out some kids? Absolutely. Would I do it again? Absolutely. But it should not be done to every baby who is born. Okay? There should be a clear clinical indicator for these things like the routine uh, blood sugar checks, the routine pharyngeal stimulation, uh, the routine bright lights. Well, I guess bright lights kind of are routine, but they shouldn't have to be, uh, or the noise. All four of these things in 1993, the American Academy of Pediatrics said, "Uh uh-uh, not good during that, especially, especially during that first hour, although really they were talking about any time. So I want to go on to bathing. This is the one that has made me kind of nuts for years. And we finally have some really good research. Now, I always used to get in trouble when I was a staff nurse because I put off giving the baby the bath. I didn't have any research, but I really believed that when you bathed the baby, that his feeding behaviors kind of deteriorated. 
I also felt that you were cold stressing the baby, which would then affect their blood sugar levels. And I just thought it was like really dumb. But I didn't have any research to back me up. I'd be the first one to say, one nurse's observations do not a study make. Okay? But I would also be eager to say, one nurse's observations over many decades or after several hundreds or thousands of babies is worth listening to. So I just kind of went on that for a long time. But in 2013, a wonderful study published by Preer and colleagues in one of the most prestigious journals, it was Breastfeeding Medicine, it was the December uh, issue, and what they did was they, they started out by talking about what they had been doing at their hospital. They said that it used to be that the babies were born and uh, they were bathed at approximately two and a half hours of life. And so then they changed their practice. Instead, they started bathing babies at 12 hours of life. Now, I want you to think about this first hour, because actually, I've seen babies that are bathed within the first hour, too. Absolutely. No doubt. Uh, So basically, what they were looking for here was to try to figure out if delaying the baby's first bath, if that correlated with anything in terms of breastfeeding behavior or breastfeeding rates or breastfeeding duration or whatever. So... What they did was they looked at 702 babies. This was a fairly good-sized study. And the old practice now, remember, uh, the babies were born, excuse me, were bathed at an average of 2.4 hours of life. Afterwards, it was about 12 hours, but actually an average of 13.5 hours of life. Get this. This is about the results. I quote, In hospital, exclusive breastfeeding rates increased from 32.7% to 40.2% after the bath was delayed. Uh, For those of you who like statistics, that p-value was less than 0.05, which is good. That is statistically significant. All right, and then they've got some other gobbledygook here that's uh, kind of statistic-y. But they go on to say that when they delayed the bath, the odds of, and now I'm quoting, the odds of exclusive breastfeeding 39% greater than infants born, and basically they mean um, when when they did the earlier bathing, And they said, and 59% greater odds of near-exclusive breastfeeding. The odds of breastfeeding initiation were, get this, 166% greater for infants born after the intervention, that is, after they, they put off the baths until 12 hours or so, than for infants born basically at the two hour mark, okay? So this is huge. It's basically telling you 
that the baby is going to have a much better, people talk to me about this all the time, whether it's parents or professionals. What I hear is, how do we get exclusive breastfeeding? We all know that exclusive breastfeeding is the best thing, blah, 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 blah. So how do we get, well, there's a lot of things you can do. But skin-to-skin contact is one of those things. And delaying the stuff that interferes with separation, whether it's the eyes and thighs or the the taking the baby over to the warmer to do vital signs or whatever, and certainly if it's bathing. Now, I am not real deep into this study, but there was a study done that Niels Bergman talks about, and I've sort of tried to read the study, but I don't understand much about horses, so it's kind of hard for me to understand. But basically what they found was that when the horse, the little foal, was taken away from its mother, and sloshed down with what would be the equivalent of a bath for a human being, what they found was that they did not do as well with suckling and adaptation to, to, to life, basically. Alrighty, so what I'm trying to tell you is this is not normal. This is not the way it's supposed to be. You also are taking that amniotic fluid off from the baby's here's the other thing. Sometimes I tell parents, if you can't negotiate for getting the bath delayed for a substantial amount of time, at least ask the nurse to leave the amniotic fluid on the baby's fingers and hands. Why so? Because the fingers and the hands, when they have the amniotic fluid on them, basically uh, that smells the same as the mother's milk. And so this is what they call a pre-feeding behavior. The baby smells the familiar amniotic fluid on his fingers. He starts sucking those fingers. And then he says, oh, wait a minute. I smell this other stuff. Oh, oh, this could be like milk in my mother's breast. Oh, okay. All right. So I can do that. It smells the same. I might like that. Right, honey. You might like that. So try really hard to make sure that the baby's bath is delayed for at least 12 hours. And I know, I know what you're going to say to me. You're going to say, oh, Marie, do I really want to handle that baby all gooey gooey like that? And the answer is, you know, we can wipe those babies down quite a lot. We can get an awful lot of that goo off from them without, um, without bathing them, certainly. So really important that you understand these things which interfere with this early hour or two immediately after delivery. Alrighty, so when we come back, I'm going to talk to you about why all of this is so important. I'm going to show you how when you have the skin-to-skin contact and the no interruption in the first hour of life, how it's better for breastfeeding and it's better for all of the other functions of the baby as well. And then I'm going to run down for you those five, excuse me, not five, but nine phases that the baby has uh, before uh, before he takes a sleep for himself that first time. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where we bust the myths and clarify the facts. Don't go away. I will be right back after this short break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. 
I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash good donor. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuso, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you, too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that, too, through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Born to Be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to radio at born to be breastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where we bust the myth and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond every week. So here's the myth. People think, oh, yeah, skin-to-skin contact. Yeah, yeah, it's really nice. It's probably really good for bonding and all this touchy-feely stuff. Well, it's touchy-feely, all right. I'll give you that. But it's, it's a lot more than just this little sweet, lovely bonding thing. It really has a much, much bigger impact. Now, first, I'm going to run down what I would say are probably the biggest benefits of this skin-to-skin contact in the first hour of life as related to breastfeeding. And then we'll take on some of the others. But just, just for breastfeeding, the first thing is improved latch. Now, I've seen this in, in studies that prove it. But I've seen this with my own eyeballs over and over and over. You see this baby who, when he is left to his own devices, he kind of gets there, he gets between the breasts, he kind of rolls his head around in this kind of bobbing motion like like he doesn't exactly know quite where it is, and then he gets on, and when he does, he gets this nice big mouthful, he gets a nice big latch, he gets on, and he sucks like a champ. And it's better than any help that I would ever be able to give him. And it's better help than ever you would ever be able to give him. So there's this number one, improved latch. Baby suckles correctly and vigorously. And 
he will probably, at least in my experience, and I think there's some research to back me up, usually when they get on and they do really, really well the first time, they do really, really well for the rest of their lives. I would suspect that that's, first of all, because he was rewarded for his efforts, but there's also some research around imprinting and a whole bunch of other stuff. So I think it's really a matter of he's learned this new skill and he's going to henceforth use it. Number two, better supply, better supply. Every mother always says, oh, I'm afraid I'm not going to have enough milk. Oh, I don't have enough milk, blah, 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 blah. Well, you can have enough milk. You can do this by starting out with getting the baby on the breast in the first hour of life. Number three, release of oxytocin. I'm sure everybody has talked to you about the importance of oxytocin, the mothering hormone or the love hormone. It is absolutely related to a greater volume of milk, and that helps to satisfy your baby. Well, as soon as you've got the baby with his little mouth there, what are you doing? You're getting the oxytocin, which is going to improve your milk supply. It does some other things, too, but it absolutely relates to milk supply. Uh, release of oxytocin will help the, the baby to have a decreased perception of pain. Remember I was talking about, for instance, when he gets that shot of vitamin K? It's really that oxytocin that is helping him to, like, tune out that pain. So oxytocin is really important. And also, there is substantial evidence that shows that your baby is more likely to be exclusively breastfed for up to six months. So mommies come to me and they say, oh, I want to breastfeed for six months, but I don't know how I'm going to do it, blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what? If your goal is to breastfeed for six months, getting this baby to be able to do his own thing here in that first hour of life, it is key. It's not the only factor. There's a lot of other things too. But it's a very key factor, and you want to take advantage of that. Again, we're back to this first hour. You're never going to get a second first hour. But there are a number of other physiologic benefits that will occur with skin-to-skin contact. Scientific literature shows that, first of all, now this makes a whole lot of sense. There's a greater ability for your baby to fight off infections. And that's because of the high concentration of those immunoglobulins, those little antibodies that are in the colostrum. And and he's got it right from the get-go, all right? Secondly, he has better heart rate. He has better respiratory rates. He breathes better. And he's much less likely to have those periods of what we healthcare professionals call apnea. Uh, It's not terribly uncommon for babies to stop breathing for several seconds and if they do it for 20 seconds that's called apnea but babies are less likely to do that when they have skin-to-skin contact so you want to get him in skin-to-skin contact right away again all of these messages go to his brain to help him to know how to live his little life next thing if they are able to do this and get the skin to skin, they're going to have deeper quality of sleep. Well, what happens to you and me when we have a deeper quality of sleep? We get up in the morning and we do our jobs better, right? And that's exactly what will happen to your baby. His job is to get food for himself. And he's going to get that food for himself a whole lot better if he has had a a good sleep for himself. 
We absolutely know beyond a shadow of a doubt, skin-to-skin contact is going to give the baby better temperature and better glucose, that is sugar, regulation. So again, that first hour, get him where he belongs, get him in the kitchen, near the food, and really, honestly, uh, all of these things are just the tip of the iceberg. There are over a thousand studies that show the efficacy of skin-to-skin contact, and many of them have to do, the, the 32 that I just named you were almost all having to do with that first hour of life. All right, Anne-Marie Ridstrom, and that's W-I-D-S-T-R-O-M, in 19, excuse me, in 2011, she published this absolutely remarkable work that says, here's what mammals do and here's what human babies do. That first of all, number one, there's that birth cry. Okay, we all know what that is. Uh huh. And then after the baby has the birth cry, what happens next? There's this period of relaxation. And then there's like this awakening. He looks up like, oh, something's going on. I'm in the world. Then he has this like activity. And then sort of a resting. And then. He will do that crawling and get this familiarization. He kind of like, he may be rooting, but sometimes he's just getting that head kind of like all over, trying to get towards the breast. With this familiarization, he then will do the suckling, and then finally, finally, he will nod off to sleep. Now, just a word here, which is remember that sometimes there's an emergency. And sometimes, for one reason or another, your baby is really not able to get to the skin-to-skin contact and have this hour with you on your chest. If so, all is not lost. Not at all. He will have many of those benefits later. It's just that they're not as intense and they are delayed and they're not, not as swift. But it happens. So, that's All I have for you today, other than to just say, realize you're in charge of your baby's care and you have some choices. Make sure that you are an advocate for your baby and do those choices. So I'd like to thank you for coming today. I'd like to thank you for the opportunity to talk with you. If you're interested in books or other media that I've mentioned on this show or other shows, uh, my Amazon store is on my uh, site. The site is born to be breastfed.com. If you are a professional and you are looking for continuing education about breastfeeding and lactation, remember I'm your source for evidence based practice and education on the web and sometimes in your city. If you are a professional, visit me at breastfeedingoutlook.com. That's www.breastfeedingoutlook.com. I'm Marie Biancuto, and I promise I'll help you to cut through the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding next Monday, same time, same channel. In the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuzo next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby.